Well, good morning. Welcome to you guys. Um, we're glad to, to have you here and that you are here. Um, and uh, I know it's spring break, and so I hear of people like going to Florida and, and like Germany and all these other places. I'm like, really? But anyway, I'm glad. and That's awesome. Um, and, and we're glad that you are. And, and for those of you who are here, though, that are hanging around with us, Thanks. It's good to see you. Uh, it really is. And, and I'm glad. And when it was 26 this morning in my vehicle, when I got in, I was like, awesome. I'm good. Um, but uh, we are glad. And the Badgers won, right? I mean, that was what, yeah, ooh, that was huge. Um, I was talking to somebody upstairs. And, and for me, to, honestly, I was like, I was kind of in this camp where I believed truly that the Badgers could do it, but I didn't necessarily expect that they were going to do it. And so when they did it and they were, as we were progressing, even that first part, I was like, man, they're going to do this. Like, I, I really have this. This is going to be awesome. And, uh, and then they pulled it out. So uh, I'm excited to follow them into the Sweet 16. So it's good. Uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, welcome to you. For those of you who are here all the time, we're glad you're here too. Um, and uh, we just want you to know that this is a safe place for you. Northridge is a safe place. No matter where you're at with God, if you have questions about who God is, what it means to follow God's word, the Bible, uh, we're glad that you're here. And this is a safe place for you to ask questions about what that looks like. Uh, we are in a series called The Power of a Story. We've been in this series for quite some time. Um, this series is, is has been a longer series. We've got three more weeks left, including this week. And, uh, and then we're going to get into Palm Sunday and Easter. Um, but we've been doing personal stories, and we've also been tracing the history, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Mainly, we've been in the book of Joshua. Um, and, and for some of you, I know, you kind of been like, hey, I've never actually read the book of Joshua. It's kind of interesting, kind of cool. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're going through that. And today's no different. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, back to the book of Joshua, and we're going to pick up the story of the Israelites again where they're at. And this time, we're going to focus on really just just two people. We're going to focus on Joshua and somebody that he's going to encounter face to face. And so we're going to, we're going to focus on that. But first, let me kind of set up where we've been and, and where before we get to where we're going. Uh, the Israelites, remember, God leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They cross the wilderness. They end up on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and the, the promised land, the land that God wants to give to them, is on the west side, the west bank of the Jordan River in what is now today known as Israel. All right? And so God wants to give them that land, but they're on this opposite side of the river. And so they have to get across with a million people or more across this Jordan River, flooded Jordan River. And so God miraculously stops the water so that they can cross on dry land. So they get across. Everybody gets across on dry land. And remember a couple of weeks ago what we talked about. The first thing that God wants them to do is to build a pile of rocks right? Remember that? He says, get 12 huge stones and I want you to make a memorial. I want you to pile them up because I want you and your children and your children's 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 children to remember what happened today. So he, he says, I want you to remember what I am doing because God says, not only am I done doing it, uh, I've done this, but I want to keep going and do a lot more. But I need you to remember what I've done so that you can remember what I want you to do. And so they had set up this memorial. So now where we're at at this current time is the Israelites are all in enemy territory. Jericho, they can see 
on the horizon. I mean, not even on the horizon. It's like it's right there. Okay, the city of Jericho, and these people want to take the Israelites out. They do not want anybody else coming into their land. This is their land. They want nothing to do with other people kind of taking their space. And so they have to deal with Jericho. And so where we're going to pick up the story is not actually the Battle of Jericho. Some of you guys have been waiting for the Battle of Jericho, haven't you? You're like, man, we're going to talk about the Battle of Jericho. And then next week, we're going to talk about the Battle of Jericho. And then next week, maybe we're not going to talk about the Battle of Jericho. And I get it. I, I understand. It's cool. But we are. We'll, you know, we're we're going to get there. But today we're going to talk about three verses. Only three verses. A little section right before the battle of Jericho happens with Joshua. Okay? So I'm going to read it. Just these three verses. This interaction. And then we're going to go back. We're going to unpack it piece by piece. Okay? So let me read the whole thing. And then we'll go back and unpack it. Joshua chapter 5, we're in verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. So that's our story for today. (laughs) Kind of interesting, isn't it? Maybe you would say, Okay, why'd you choose that? Kind of strange, right? Kind of strange. Like we're just going to talk about this little conversation they have, which is not much of a conversation. Um, That's what we're going to talk about. And so uh, it's a very interesting story, but I want to go back. Let's go back to the very first thing that this story says. Okay. And we're going to unpack this piece by piece. Okay. It says this. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Sword in hand. So the first thing that we notice is Joshua is where? Joshua is near the city of Jericho, the town of Jericho, right? This walled city who are, who are the enemy, okay? I don't know how close he was to the walls. I don't know how close he was to Jericho, but he's very near Jericho. Now, the question is why? Why is Joshua by himself in enemy territory near the city of Jericho? These are the people that want to take them out. They, they don't want the Israelites in their, in their land, okay? So why is Joshua there? Well, We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why Joshua is there at this particular moment, but we have a guess. We have a guess as to why he's there. Remember, Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. He's the military strategist for the Israelites. Okay, he's the one that God has put in place to lead the Israelites into what they need to do to be able to have this land. Okay, so probably there's a good possibility that Joshua is scouting out Jericho for himself. Right? He sent in spies to kind of check out the land, check the walls, all that kind of stuff. But there's a probably there's a good chance that Joshua wants to see the walls and see the city for himself. Because he's about to lead his people into an area where they're going to be in, under threat of being attacked. Okay? And they're gonna they're gonna be actually going after Jericho, and so he knows this. So he's probably checking it out. So remember, Jericho, he's uh, I mean, you know, with Joshua, he's got this whole city, Jericho, and the weight of the responsibility of all the Israelites on his shoulders. 
And so Joshua's there, regardless of what he's doing. Either way, Joshua's there, and, and he's standing there, and then he's walking around. I don't know if he's, I don't know if there's bushes or trees or if it's just a field, right? And then there's the city walls right there. And I don't know if he's like making a perimeter walking around the city. I don't know what he's doing, but he's just out there, okay? He's clearly outside, and, and then all of a sudden, a man appears in front of him with a sword in his hand, right? Now, I don't know about you. I, how long has it been since that happened to you, right? It's been a while for me, all right? I don't remember another time. You know, I, I don't remember that ever happening. And so Joshua, all of a sudden, there's this guy, and he stands there. And, not, and, and the Bible's very clear. The sword is not in its sheath, right? He's not wearing a sword. He has the sword in his hand, okay? That's, that's important, if the sword is in his sheath, okay, just like any weapon, then it, it, it's just there just in case, okay? But this guy has his sword in his hand, okay? We all know that that's one of two reasons. He's either getting ready to defend himself or he's getting ready to attack, clearly, okay? You don't draw your sword unless you are ready to take action with it, right? Okay, because it's obviously threatening. And so this is where Joshua is at. And so we, this, this brings up an interesting point. Now, Joshua doesn't know this yet. This guy just appears in sword in his hand. And by the way, did you notice, this is just a side note. This is just a little extra. This is like free, okay? <laughs> Joshua, did you notice what he does when he sees this guy with a sword in his hand? This tells you the kind of person that Joshua was. He is like, I don't want to meet Joshua in a dark alley. Okay, let's just put it that way. Joshua goes up to the guy immediately and demands his loyalties. Like, he doesn't run. He doesn't draw his own sword. He's, not like, he's just like, uh, hey. <laughs> he just walks up to him, runs right up to him, and, and he kind of does this. Now, the interesting thing is Joshua does not know this yet. And I'm about to play some, uh, I'm, I'm giving you the future here, even though we haven't gotten to this part of the story yet. But Joshua's going to find out that this is God in front of him. Okay. Now, he doesn't know this yet, but he's going to find out that this is God. And I thought that this, this, I've never had this thought before as I was looking at this. But I think that Joshua may have felt a little bit like sometimes we feel when God all of a sudden infuses his presence into our lives. A little, whoa, God, whoa, what are you doing? I wasn't, uh, I'm, I'm just working at my desk here today. Like, I have my cubicle, I'm good. Like, what's going on? You want me to do what? Sometimes God, God's presence, he comes in, and some of you know this is true, because some of you, actually a couple of you, you've actually mentioned that this is how you've ended up at Northridge. You felt like God really just wanted you to come here, to the village center, and to worship together. Some of you have mentioned that, haven't you? You've told me this. And that is when God's presence comes in and says, hey, I need you to do this. I want you to think about this. I want you to try this. I've shared times when God has done that. And to, let's be honest, sometimes God, when his presence shows up all of a sudden in the midst of our normal everyday lives, it can be a little unnerving, isn't it? When God says, hey, I want you to go over and that coworker that you saw crying yesterday, I need you to ask them how they're doing. And you say, no, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. I have a lot of work to do. And God says, no, really. It can be a little unnerving. It can be a little unsettling. It can be a little bit, 
threatening to our everyday lives. Sometimes God comes in and changes our pace. Sometimes God comes in and changes our direction. In fact, again, I know many of you, you your direction was changed when, when you started coming to Northridge and God got a hold of your heart and your soul. And you've, you've shared these things, I know, with many people and, and sometimes with me, where God has changed your direction and you were, you've been scared of it, been worried about it, but you knew God was calling you to change direction of it. And so I think that Josh is feeling a little bit this way, even though, even though he doesn't know that this is God. And so now uh, let's go back to the story. Josh was face to face with this guy, right? He just appears out of nowhere. He's got his sword in hand. He doesn't know what's going on. And so Joshua, he needs to decide what to do. And, and Joshua's going to be the first one. This, is, this shows his mettle, right? Joshua is a bold, courageous guy, right? He is no wimp. <laughs> because the first thing that he does, Joshua's the first one to take action. I mean, this guy appears, Joshua's by himself. He doesn't have his army, his officers, nobody's with him. And, and the first thing he does, he takes action. So let's go back to it and read the next part. So the guy's right there, appears in front of him. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Are you a friend or an enemy? And this is interesting. Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, the question is, who is this really? Because he says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, now uh, we, we have a lot of, uh, honestly, the, the Bible does not tell us explicitly, like, this is exactly who this is. So we don't know exactly who it is. There's a lot of theories. Some people say it, it, this is an angel because he says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not going to get into all the language and the original Hebrew and all that kind of stuff here because we could, but, but we get into there. And there's some reasons why eh, that could be true, but probably not. There's another reason why that's probably not true, and that is because when uh, Joshua, notice what his response is, he bows down, right? He gets on his knees and he starts to worship this person, this being. Uh, angels would always balk at that, and they'd say, no, 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 you don't worship angels, you, we worship God, okay? Don't worship me, I'm not, wor- I'm not to be worshiped. And so if this were just an angel, then, then the, that angel probably would have said, Joshua, don't, don't worship me, you need to worship God. Okay, and so there's a a couple of possibilities here. This could be something that's called, and I'm going to use a a really fancy word, uh, this could be a theophany, okay? Um, Now, I don't know why, but uh, I get annoyed at theological words. You know why I do? Uh, Because they make no sense. (laughs) I mean, that's honestly, like, okay, good, it's a theophany. Yeah, I love theophanies. Uh, They're awesome, right? Those theophanies. I love it when a theophany happens. Don't you? Don't you just love that? Yeah, me too. We don't know what a theophany is, and we honestly probably don't care. What we care is what is going on. Well, a theophany is very simply a visible or physical sensory representation of who God is. Okay? It's when we can see or feel or sense or hear God with our senses. Not like we hear him, like he impresses something on our soul, but literally we can hear him or see him. And this is what Joshua is experiencing from God right now. Okay? He can literally see God. He sees the sword. He sees who this is. And so this is a true vision. It's not just a vision like a hologram, like somebody's got a projector behind him, right? This is real. And so Joshua is seeing God. He's talking with God. Okay, another possibility is that this is, this is really crazy. Um, not crazy for God, but this could be crazy to us. But this could be potentially, a lot of people have said that this could be potentially Jesus in front of him. 
that this is the pre-incarnation of Jesus before he's ever born as a baby. Remember, Jesus doesn't arrive on earth for over a thousand more years after this. Okay, But remember that Jesus already exists. He just hasn't come to earth as a baby. Okay, So regardless of who this is, because that's really not even the most important part, what we do need to know, because this is really important, is that this is God. This is somebody who is God or who represents God very clearly. Okay? And that's important to know because I want to go to the conversation. The conversation is, is probably the crux of this story. It's why really I think that God wants us to be parked here on these three verses for this week. And the, the conversation is very revealing. It's very interesting because Joshua, what he does, did you notice the question that he asked? He goes up to the guy, right? Which is crazy. I mean, the guy has the sword and, and Joshua runs up to him. This guy is Joshua's amazing, right? He's one of those leaders that you can just look at. If you want to see an example of how to live your life according to God and according to faith, Joshua is one of those that you can look at. And he walks up right up to that guy and says, Hey, are you a friend or an enemy to me and the Israelites? Are you a friend or are you an enemy? Whose side are you on? And this is what's interesting. God replies. This is, isn't this interesting? God's response is a little shocking. He says, neither one. I'm not a friend or an enemy. I'm not on anybody's side. Remember, I'm God. I'm perfect. I'm holy. And I am on the perfect side. And so he says, are you a friend or an enemy? And he says, neither one. And so this, this is really interesting because this brings up something that is really important for us to understand about who God is and about how the Bible works and how life works, okay? This is one of those really subtle things. This is why we kind of gloss over this because honestly, this is three verses that I haven't really paid much attention to in the book of Joshua any time that I've read it. I haven't really paid attention to these three verses. Like the Battle of Jericho is the very next chapter. Woo, Battle of Jericho. And, and then, you know, before this is like the parting of the water and the Jordan River and the Red Sea and all this. Awesome. You know, and then here's this little thing where there's this guy with a sword and I don't know, What? Uh, okay, I'm just keep reading. I think why he, God wants us to park on this for a minute today is because of what this conversation shows, how we tend to view God. So let me just try to explain this in visual terms, okay? So when we have to go back, if, if I were to explain why this conversation is so important, we have to kind of go back to the beginning, okay? And when I mean the beginning, I mean literally the beginning. We're talking Genesis, okay? So Genesis, we're all the way back. Nothing exists, right? There's just black darkness. Nothing exists. The only thing that exists, the only thing that exists is God, okay? And so then God decides that he wants to create the universe, right? And God is a part of all that. I put kind of, there's, there's no way to visibly represent this. But God is in the center. He's all over it. Okay, just understand that this circle represents all of who God is. The universe, everything that he creates, the earth, the planets, the trees, the people, the, the animals, all that kind of stuff. God creates everything, right? And Genesis chapter 1, just, it talks about this. In fact, we just read this with my kids last night before bed. Okay, he talked about Genesis chapter 1. Okay, and so God creates everything. Then what we know is after God creates the land and the oceans and the sky and separates all the water and all that kind of stuff, then God creates a couple of people, right? Creates Adam and Eve. We have Adam and Eve. 
Okay? So Adam and Eve, and, and, and what this is all important because what God does is God puts Adam and Eve in the midst of this perfect world, this perfect relationship with him. Adam and Eve, their entire purpose, their entire purpose, all they have to worry about is giving glory and honor to God. All they have to worry about is hanging out with God, being close to him. Like that's all they have to worry about. Okay, get this. They don't have to worry about March Madness. They don't have to worry about going to work. Literally, Adam and Eve never have to go to work. Ever. Right? They literally, when they're hungry, they just walk over to a tree and be like, this is amazing. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. And they eat it. Right? Stuff's growing out of the ground. They're like, this is awesome too. Eat that. Hey, there's an animal. Cool. What should we call that? I don't know. Um, let's call it an aardvark. Cool. Right? And, and they just, that's all they have to do. They literally have to do nothing to work for their food or anything like that. They don't have to punch a clock. They don't have to do anything. They are in perfect relationship with God. This is how God set it up. Did you know that God did not actually design you to constantly work for your food? How many of you are like, man, let's go back to that? <laughs> right? God didn't design us to do that. God designed you and I, human beings, to serve and honor him. And that's it. Here's the problem. The problem is that Adam and Eve sin, right? We, this is kind of fast-forwarding the story. This is like the Reader's Digest version, right? So Adam and Eve, they, they commit sin because God has to give an option there for them to love him, to choose God, because otherwise God knows this is not love, right? If it's forced, it's not love. And so God has an option for them. And so Adam and Eve, they choose to go against God. They say, you know what? God has given us everything except for that one thing, that, that fruit on that tree, that fruit on that tree, it looks pretty good. We should probably have that. And they take it. And that's the one thing God said, you can't do that. And so they commit sin. And so sin enters humanity from here on out. From here on out, then this is, this is changed. And so now what happens, not because of God, but because of sin. Now Adam and Eve are kicked out over here. Okay? It's not that they can't be connected to God, but sin has separated them from God. In fact, if you look at Genesis, okay, what happens is after Adam and Eve sin, all of a sudden it's the first time in all of history for humans, okay, but Adam and Eve, it's the very first time they feel shame and they feel guilt. Did you know that God did not create shame and guilt for us to feel either? We asked for it by pushing God away. When we feel shame and guilt, did you know that shame and guilt is very simply, a lot of times, not, it's not completely, but it's very simply the absence of God. And so Adam and Eve, they're out here and they feel guilt and shame. In fact, they hide from God. They, they, they feel guilt and shame and so they're hiding from God because they don't want to face him. And so they basically separate themselves with their sin. Okay, so now this is why this is important, okay? Eventually, Adam and Eve, okay, they, they have more kids, right? They have kids, and their kids have kids, and then we got more kids, and I'm not going to do, I don't know, what are we up to on the earth? Seven billion or something like that? Okay, I'm not going to put seven billion circles up there. Okay, you understand, we'd be here all day. Okay, so just, just get it. All the people are here, okay? Every time, anytime somebody new is born, we have this, and people, we all have sin. We all have, have this propensity this tendency that we say, you know what, God, I want to do my own thing. We have this tendency to sin. 
Okay, and so, so Adam and Eve started this, but then this, this is kind of where we're at. So God needed to fix that, right? God needed to fix that. So he has a way to invite all of us in, but here's the deal. Okay, let's go back to the story for a minute. Here's the tendency of us human beings because we have sin. We have the tendency that Joshua had in this story. When faced with God, Joshua had a question that was backwards of what he should have asked. Joshua asked when he comes face to face with God, Hey, God, are you my friend or are you my enemy? Isn't that what Joshua is asking? He's saying, are you on my side, God, or not? Like, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. We're taking this city. Uh, Are you on my side? Are you with me or not? And this is a little bit of a backwards view of how we need to change how we see God. Okay, because we're here, and, and say this is me, okay, and I'm doing my thing, right? And I'm saying, God, this is, this is how I want my family to go. This is the career that I want to follow. This is how I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do today. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. This is how I'm going to do in 10 years. This is how I'm going to live my life. And then what we do is we have this Joshua problem. We say, God, are you a friend? Are you with me? This is what I'm doing, God. Just so you know, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. Are you with me? Let's go. Let's bless it. Can you bless it? This would be, that'd be awesome. This is what I'm going to do. And what God says to Joshua and to us is he says, no, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not whether or not God is a friend or an enemy of us. God says, the the, the question is, are you a friend or an enemy of God? Do you see the very subtle difference there? The question is the same. The direction is just different. It is not about us doing what we want to do and saying, God, please bless it. It is about us making sure we're in, on board and on tap and on direction and on point with what God is doing so that God says, now watch what we can do if you are surrendered to my plan. And so this is where Joshua's at, right? Joshua asks, are you a friend or an enemy? And God says, I'm not either one. The question is, what are you? <laughs> you want to take Jericho? You want this land that I've given to you? I've, God says, sitting there saying, Joshua, I've already given you the land, but you've got your own plan. You're trying to find a weakness in a wall? Really? Don't worry. If you worried about God, if you're worried about me, God says, don't worry about the walls. I'll take care of the walls. You just need to be worried about me. You're worried about everything else. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe Joshua was worried about how he, how he was going to look the next couple of days in the, you know, when they go up against Jericho. Maybe he's worried about that. And God says, you don't need to be worried about that. You need to be worried about me, and that's it. See, God knows that there's a problem, that there's, that there's a separation between us and, and him because of sin. But this is why God provided a way, right? We talk about this all the time here at Northridge. God provided a way for us to be in relationship again with him, right? Because what after Adam and Eve sinned, then what had to happen? Then all of a sudden they have to start making sacrifices, 
right? They have to start killing animals. They have to start offering their first fruits and all this kind of stuff to God to make a sacrifice to God to pay for their sin. Somebody has to pay for the sin. And so they had to pay every time they would sin, they'd have to pay for it. Okay. And so God said, this is not good. This doesn't work. This is terrible because everybody's separated from me until they pay for their sin. And so God said, I'm going to pay for everybody's sin. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to die on the cross for everybody so that at least they can choose because everybody's out here outside of my presence because of sin. And I want everybody to have the possibility, the option to choose to be back in my presence. It'll be on them. They can choose. But whether or not they want to, this is the question. In fact, let me just read 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life. So this is not only on earth, but beyond earth. Eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. In other words, God knows that the only way for us to be back in his presence, like he originally set it up, Adam and Eve, is that we would accept Jesus, which is the perfect solution, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and then we can be back in God's presence in that relationship with God and how he intended it to be. And you know what eternity is? Eternity is very simply this, how God originally set it up, forever. Like this perfection, this, this where, you know, I, I was explaining this, we were talking about this in our life group just this last week. And, and, and it's like if you, if you go in with no expectation, uh, let's say to a movie or to a situation or to, you know, you get with a group of people and you don't really know how it's going to go and you come out of that and it went as amazing as it could possibly go. You know when you've been through an experience or through a movie or something like that, you didn't have any experience, you didn't know what it was going to be like, and you come out and you were just blown away by how amazing it was, right? And you're just filled up and you're excited and like your neurons are firing and you're like, man, that was awesome, right? Okay, you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about, that really good feeling that when you're just like, man, everything's clicking, that was amazing. And I did not expect that. Okay, take that feeling that understanding and multiply it by like more than you can multiply it by, by billions. And eternity is how God has wants us to experience. And all we're getting right now, you know why we're so frustrated with life right now? It's because it's still broken. We have Jesus and we have the presence of God here. It's not that God's not here. It's simply that our relationship is still somewhat not perfect. And God wants us to live as much as we can for him on this earth so that in eternity, when we leave this earth, we will experience unbelievable perfection in being in the presence of God. So Josh was there and God responds to his question, are you a friend or an enemy? Neither one. And this is his response. It says, at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? 
Joshua shows what our response should be to God. When he, and we might be asking of God, okay, maybe you're over here, okay? Maybe you're out here and you're saying, God, this is our plan. We've come up with it. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is our career. Uh, Bless it. You're on board with this, God? I mean, I know you didn't know, but now we're telling you. (laughs) If you weren't aware, God, this is where we're headed, all right? This is where we're retiring. This is what we're doing. So get on board. You know how silly that is, right, to tell God that kind of stuff? And God wants to flip it around on us and say, no, 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 no. Are you on board with where I'm going? Because it's way better than your plan. You might think you've got it figured out, but it's, it's nothing. Nothing compared to what God has planned. And I get it. I get lost in it too. I mean, the truth is, I've told my story, haven't I? I think that I had the same problem as Joshua in my life. I still do to some degree. Some, there are some days I still have this problem where I'm over here doing my thing and I say, God bless it. I'm, do, I'm working hard here, God. Let's get it done. You're, on, you're with me, right? Let's go. And I think that this is one reason why I was a public school teacher before I became a pastor. I have nothing. There's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a teacher. It's awesome. In fact, that's one reason I chose to be a teacher is because I thought, man, this is an amazing thing. I want to do this. I want to help people. I want to do this. The problem was that me being a teacher was me sitting up here saying, God, I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> I'm going to teach kids. I'm going to, we're going to do awesome things. Man, I'm going, to, I'm going to do some great stuff. And God says, okay, you want me to bless that? That's not even what I created you for. Really? I mean, you'll do okay. But that's not really what I, you were given, like, that's not what you're here for. You're supposed to be a pastor. And I ran from God for a while. I basically was asking God, hey, God, are you an enemy or your friend? I mean, I'm doing my thing. Are you with me or what? And finally, God showed me yeah, you're doing your own thing. You're right. And no, I'm not going to bless it. So until you get on board with me, God said, you're not going to see what you really want to see. And so I finally get on board with that. But here's, here's how quickly, as a human being, I can fall again, right? So, so I agree, and I say, okay, God, I'll go to ministry. Like, uh, I'll be a pastor, and you know what the first thing, you guys know my story because I've told this. The first thing that, that he does is, you know, I start looking and I start praying and I start sending things out. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in ministry. I'm going to start my master's. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. God called me to be a pastor. That's what he wants me to do. And so, you know, I had in my mind, you know, this is probably what I could do. These are some things I maybe could do. I don't want to do those things, right? And so the, the, thir- the first thing, in fact, the first several things Several times that God called me to, I've shared this before, is, was, was to be a, a children's pastor. You know what I said to God? No way. Absolutely not. Nope. 
Not, have you seen me with kids? Like, I, you know, I, I, this is, by the way, this is before I had kids, right? And so, so this is like, uh, like this is before I had kids. And I, I was awkward with kids anyway, you know? And, and I mean, just like, you know, I'm trying to talk to them and they usually just ignore me, you know? I, I, did anybody else here feel that way? Like you try to, hey, how you doing? Yeah, awesome. And there they just run off and you go, yeah, okay, uh, that's cool, whatever, Right? Like the rejection from kids is just constant, you know. And so, so God calls me to to be pastor to kids, and I'm going. Uh, this doesn't make any sense, God. I'm not sure if you noticed, but it doesn't work usually with me. So I said no. What was I doing? I jumped, even though I said, "Yep, God, I'm on board. I'm with you. Let's go. I'm a friend. I'm good. Let's go." Then I then as soon as he said children's ministry, <laughs> I said, uh, "Just kidding. I'm back out here again." Nope, I'm good. I was a pastor, yeah, but children's ministry, nope. And I said, God, if I'm going to be in ministry, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And God said, well, then I'm not going to bless it again. I mean, you sort of got there, but you're not there yet. And so eventually, finally, through my thick skull and my prideful heart, God finally got me into children's ministry in North Dakota. And you guys know how that turned out because Craig was here last week, right? We shared the story of how we connected and all that stuff. So God used it in spite of me. And here God says, okay, now watch what we can do now that you are really serious about this. And I've had many times since where I'm trying to do my own thing and ask God to bless it. So how does this end? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. That tells you what has changed in two verses. Joshua was this guy. I mean, remember, he had this guy had a sword in his hand and Joshua walks right up to him and says, hey, Friend or enemy? Like he didn't even draw his sword. Hey, friend or enemy? I need to know where you're at or else I'm taking you out. And he says, I'm neither one. Big shot. <laughs> right? And Joshua's like all up in his face. And now in two verses, where's Joshua? He's on his face. Like on the ground with his face in the dirt and saying, God, I am nothing. I'm your servant. Let's do this. Joshua realizes even though he's a man's man, he's like all that. <laughs> he's, he's a guy that we do not want to meet in an alley. Right? He'll take anybody, anything. And God says, listen, I'm glad that you're that way. And get this. God created Joshua that way because he needed a man's man, strong, like, let's go, guys, follow me. God's showing me the way. Let's do this. He needed somebody who was strong and powerful and bold and faithful like Joshua. But God needed Joshua to realize it's not because you're awesome. It's because I'm awesome in you. So the question here is this. Joshua, at that moment, 
He knew that at that moment. Now, tomorrow, the very next day after this story, Joshua has to lead the Israelites to march around Jericho, right? That's, that's the story of the Battle of Jericho. If, if the very next day, he's going to have to lead the Israelites to march around the city of Jericho. God's going to give him the, the directions on how to do this. So that's what he's going to have to do. But at this moment, when he's in front of God, Joshua has to realize, what is my submission? What do I need to do right now to surrender myself to God? And Joshua knew at that point it was to take his sandals off and to get down in the dirt, surrender himself. Just imagine that this is, I mean, Joshua's doing this in enemy territory. It's quite possible that the people in Jericho are watching what's going on. I don't know. Maybe they can't. Maybe he's too far away. I have no idea. But just get, if you have, if the people are in Jericho on top of the walls, and guaranteed they're up there guarding because they know there's a million people that just showed up on our doorstep, right? So you know they're watching things. Okay? And they look down and they see the commander, or whoever it is, the Israelites, and all of a sudden he's throwing his sandals and he's down in the dirt. I don't know if they could see God or not. And they go, what is going on? But what they don't realize, the people of Jericho, is that without that, the next few days probably don't happen. Joshua has to surrender his soul to God before God can use Joshua to do some amazing things. So the question for all of us here today is this. Are you a friend or an enemy of God? You may have been asking God that your whole life and asking him if he's a friend or an enemy of you. And I'm here to tell you that that question needs to be flipped. And you need to ask yourself, and God is asking you, are you a friend or an enemy of God? Every day, you and I, we have opportunities to surrender our lives to Christ. We all know that we have these opportunities. It's when somebody says something to us, offers something to us. There's decisions that need to be made. When God asks us to do something that is uncomfortable, uh, Ryan just mentioned inviting somebody for Easter how many of you, I don't, want to, I don't want to see hands, but how many of you have thought of somebody that you should invite to Easter, but you have not because you're worried about what they're going to say to you afterwards? It's quite possible that God is asking you to take off your sandals and you're just not wanting to. Okay? By the way, I don't think it has anything, anything to do with your shoes. Okay? God hasn't asked me to remove my shoes very often, but he has asked me to talk to people about God. He has asked me to invite people. He has asked me to be open and available to somebody who may be in need, whatever the case is. So the question is, each and every day in those moments when God gives you the opportunity to surrender, what is your response going to be in that moment? We get lost in God What's my direction? What should I be doing? What's my career? You know, maybe I should change jobs, you know, all kind of stuff. And that's fine. I'm not saying that that's a bad question. But maybe, maybe the question is, God, how do you want me to surrender right now, today? 
Because if you're surrendered to him today, that'll lead you to the next point of surrender, which will be tomorrow. And that'll lead you to the next point of surrender, which will be the next day. Does that make sense? And eventually you'll look back after months, after years of doing that, and you'll realize that God has been walking with you the whole time. And as you surrender, 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 it will become faster, it will become easier, and you'll see what God can do in you and through you in ways that you never thought imaginable. So my encouragement to you is today, surrender each moment. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means for you every day, at home, at work, at school, with your friends, with your family, surrender in each moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you for inviting us into your presence. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. And I know in a few weeks, Lord, uh, you know this, I know, but as humans, we kind of think in calendars. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate two huge things, which is your death on the cross, which paid for our sins, and your resurrection from the grave, which conquered sin and death. But the whole point of that, God, we acknowledge here today is that you were inviting all of us to be in your presence consistently, constantly. It's how you designed it from the beginning. But then we broke it with our sin. So God, just as Joshua learned to do in this story, my prayer for everyone here is this. Help us to ask the right question. Are we a friend or an enemy of you? God, very very simply, I pray Help us to stop swaying you to our plan and help us to get on board with your plan. Help us to surrender in every moment of every day as much as possible. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.